good evening. This is Wes. This is from the Wine of Life podcast. And tonight we're going to be talking about Maximus the Confessor's triad of being. And I think um, this is something that uh, is real important to me in uh, in the process of Christian life. Why it's uh, I think it's something necessary that should be taught today. But what we're going to be doing is we're going to be go- using um, Nicholas Constant's um, Constance, um Ambigua. Uh, that he that he did. We're also going to be using. Um, we're going to be using both volumes, but we're going to be um, reading mainly from Ambiguous sixty five. We're going to be using um, Paul Blower's uh, the uh, Cosmic Mystery of Jesus Christ, and we're also going to be using um, uh, Nicholas Constance um, Ad Thalasium here that Maximus the Confessor wrote to uh, Thalasio. So. We're going to be getting into all of those things. Now, for Maximus, there was already a triad of, of becoming movement and rest. That is, you were, um, man was made to become as God, and God wanted him to not eat of the tree of uh, good and evil. He wanted him to eat of the tree of life, and therefore there was a potential within man to become, and that would then cause a, a certain amount of movement. There would be an alt, obviously an alteration in whichever one he decided to eat from, either the tree of life or the uh, tree of good and evil. And then from there, man would find rest in God or in the Logos. Uh, man, though, sinned, right, and turned away from God. And so there is a triad of being then. And what Maximus called, uh, the thing he calls it is being, um, well-being, and eternal well-being. And now there is also um, differences in that because there's also ill being, and we'll talk about that. But that's something that's due. Um, that's something that's due to sin. But we're we're going to get into this here. I'm going to read from Ambiguous 65. It says those possessing perfect knowledge of divine reality say that there are three modes, inasmuch as the total principle of the whole coming into being of rational substances is seen to have the mode of being well-being, and eternal being. And that of being is first given to beings by essence. That of well-being is granted to them second by their power to choose, inasmuch as they are self-moved. And that of eternal being is lavished on them third by grace. And the first contains potential, the second activity, and the third rest from activity. This means that the principle of being, which by nature possesses only the potential for actual actualization, cannot in any way possess this potential in its fullness without the faculty of free choice. So having being means, by definition, that you have to have free choice because having being means that you possess potentiality within yourself. And that of well-being, on the other hand, possesses the actualization of natural potential only by inclination of the will, for it does not possess this potential in its totality, separately from nature. So, in order to actualize the potential within yourself, you have to make a free choice um, to actualize that potential. And then the third one is that of eternal being, finally, which wholly contains those that precede it, which is being and well-being, absolutely does not exist as a natural potential within beings, nor does it at all follow by necessity from the willing of free choice. For how is it possible for things which by nature have a beginning and which by their motion have an end 
to possess as an innate part of themselves that which exists eternally and which has neither beginning nor end. But eternal being is a limit, bringing a halt to nature in terms of its potential and to free choice in terms of its activity without in any way changing the principle according to which the one and the other exist, but establishing for all things the limit of all ages and times. And he goes on to compare this to the idea of the Sabbath and the number seven, that when perfection is reached, it is not just something that goes on in an unlimited fashion, because it is eternal, but it also is a limit to nature itself. So ever well-being is based on um, the idea of glorification. Now, we're going to talk about how those connect together, but that is when you receive your, um, what you would call your glorified body. And I'm going to read here from Ambiguous 42. Let me see when I get to page... 143 here. These are the three ways that you achieve the being, the well-being, and the ever-well-being. It says, I think in this way, as the teacher says, our Lord and God has honored our three births. That is the general three modes of our origin in being, well-being, and in eternal being. The first of these is our birth from another body, which constitutes the single birth of both, I mean of soul and body, owing, owing to their simultaneous and mutual coexistence, and yet they may be distinguished as two because of the different mode of origin characteristic of each. So the first thing you receive being simply by being born. It is an aspect that you have within your essence. Secondly, though, it says uh, it is through the first birth that we receive being. The second birth is from baptism. So we lavishly receive well-being. So the second birth then, or the way to receive well-being, is being saved. When you are saved, you then um, must be baptized according to the commandment of the Lord. When you are baptized, you put on Christ, according to Galatians 3. So the second birth then is you being born again. While the third birth comes from resurrection, it is how we are transformed by grace unto eternal well-being. So those are the ways that you get to these particular points. And um, you you must be saved in order to receive well-being. If you are saved, then by grace, God, through the resurrection, will transform your body into a glorified body. And at the resurrection, you will then receive eternal well-being. Now, there is another mode, though, that you can end up in that people don't generally want to end up in. And I'm going to read again from Ambiguum 42. It says, The principles of all the beings that exist essentially, whether they exist now or will exist in the future, whether they have come to be or will come to be, or have appeared or will appear, pre-exist and are immovably fixed in God. And it is according to these that all things are and have come to be and remain always, drawing closer to their own predetermined principles through natural motion and ever more closer, uh, closely approximated to being by their particular kinds of degrees and motions and inclination of choice. Now, the reason why it's important that I bring up ill-being is because some people have tried to say that Maximus is more or less a universalist, that everyone would be safe because all beings must find their rest uh, in the thing that created them, because he says there's a predetermined aspect of the motion that you're in. But this is where he, he, 
he says that that's actually not what he's discussing here. He says that there is an actual other being called ill-being. And um, here we go. It says, They receive well-being through virtue and through their direct progress toward the principle according to which they exist. So well-being is through those who have become saved. It's through baptism. Or they receive ill-being through vice and their movement contrary to the principle by which they exist. To put it concisely, they move in accordance with their possession or privation of the potential they have naturally to participate in him who is by nature absolutely imparticipable and who offers himself wholly and simply to all, worthy and unworthy, by grace through his infinite goodness and who endows each with the permanence of eternal being, corresponding to the way that each deposes himself and is. And for those who participate or do not participate proportionally in him who in the truest sense is and is good and is forever, there is an intensification and increase of punishment for those who cannot participate and of enjoyment for those who can. So there is a judgment for the people who are involved in ill-being and there is a blessing for those who have well-being because in in eternity you will either be undergoing the process of what he would call divinization, or you will be going undergoing the process of judgment for eternity. For there exists absolutely none among beings whose principle did not previously exist in God, and the principles of the substance of these beings likewise pre-exist in God, from which it follows that their creation in time unquestionably takes place according to a divine purpose. Now every essential existence created according to the divine purpose remains in being and cannot pass into non-being. But if whatever essentially exists cannot pass from being to non-being once it has been brought into existence, then its principles must be solid and unchanging, having the sole origin of their being in divine wisdom, from which they come and thanks to which they remain in existence, and by which they have the power to remain firmly anchored in being. So this is why some people would say, because he says these principles are unchanging, that you cannot, in fact, say that, all will not be eventually saved because all must find their rest and move towards, have motion towards their origin, which is God, because we were all created by God. But that is not um, how he sees it, because he sees a change in the ages. And this is where we get into Thalasius here, his um, book. We're going to go to um, question 22, if I can get there. I did get there. And we're going to read um, 152 to 153 here in uh, 22. It says, Or again, since the principle of activity is different from the principle of passivity, the divine apostle at once mystically and wisely separates the active and the passive principles respectively into past and future ages. For example, The ages of the flesh in which we now live for the scripture also knows temporal ages, as when it says that man toiled in this age and shall live unto its end, has the characteristic property of activity. But the future ages of the spirit come about after this present life are characterized by the transformation of man through passivity. This is important to understand. In this age, um, we are trying to move towards Christ by either choosing him, choosing the grace that's been offered to us or not. And so we are in a stage or an age of activity, whereas in the next age, it is a an age of undergoing. So you are not moving, you are not continuously moving into what you have chosen. 
you are now undergoing something that is happening to you. So if you have well-being, you are undergoing a, a, a sort of uh, what he would call divinization, a constant sort of divinization in the presence of God all the time, a blessing, and you are constantly praising and worshiping God. Whereas if you have ill-being, you are now undergoing the judgment of that. You, you have received what he would call ever ill-being. And um, so that is why I believe, I think it's wrong to say that he was a universalist in any such way because he explicitly states that these are things that have nothing to do with that. With that. We ultimately have to um, undergo our judgment in the next age. So the ages change, therefore the mode has to change. There is now an age of activity. There will be an age of undergoing, and that undergoing will bring about either judgment or it will bring about blessings and glorification and divinization. So I'm going to read what he talks about with hell here um, in Ambiguum. We're going to start in Ambiguum 21. Let's see here, 437. Right, it says, For just as the flesh was swallowed up by corruption as a result of sin, and likewise the soul by the flesh, since it is known only through the activities of the body, and the knowledge of God by the soul's complete ignorance to the point of not even knowing whether or not God exists, so too in the time of the resurrection, when the Holy Spirit will restore the correct order for the sake of the God who became flesh, the flesh will be spiritually swallowed up by the soul, and the soul by God, who is true life. Inasmuch as the soul will possess God exclusively, wholly manifested through all things to the soul, and to put it simply in contrast to this present state of affairs in which we now exist and live, all that is ours will be revealed under the aspect of the future by the divine grace of the resurrection, so that, just as death prevailed over this life and swallowed up all through sin, death itself will be justly defeated by that life and swallowed up by grace. All of these things will come about if the soul, as I have said, uses its own powers properly and if consistent with God's purpose. It passes through the sensible world by way of the spiritual principles that exist within it so that with understanding it arrives at God. So there are things that one must do or choose in order to receive uh, eternal life where life itself swallows up and defeats death. But then he says, If, however, it makes the wrong or mistaken use of these powers, delving into the world in a manner contrary to what is proper, it is obvious that it will succumb to dishonorable passions, and in the coming life will rightly be cast away from the presence of the divine glory, receiving the dreadful condemnation of being estranged from relation with God for infinite ages, a sentence so distressing that the soul will not be able to contest it, for it will have as a perpetually relentless accuser its own disposition, which created for it a mode of existence that in fact did not exist. So, there is a hell, there is a condemnation to those who are involved in ill-being, and they will be given ever ill-being. It will never end. They will be in a state uh, that is so dreadful uh, and so estranged from God that it will not be able, its own soul will not be able to contest it because itself will be accusing it. So there will be no way out of it. There will be no forgiveness of sins that comes from it. And we're going to read again from uh, Ambiguum 20. 
what he has to say about this in, uh, what are we looking at, 4.11? When he talks about hell here, it says, For natural potential in each and every being is nothing other than the unalterable movement of nature towards complete actuality. How then divinization could make the divinized person go out of himself, I fail to see, if it was something that lay within the bounds of his nature, in the same manner, but in the case of what is contrary, the sages give the names of perdition, Hades, sons of perdition, and the like, to those who by their disposition have set themselves on a course to non-existence, who by their mode of life have reduced themselves to virtual nothingness. So they are moving themselves by their own choices, by the rejection of God, the Creator, who sent His Son in the flesh, the Logos. They are rejecting that, and they are taking themselves into perdition, into hell, um, where they will be going through the next age in a state of ever ill being that will never be able to change. Because for Maximus, the ontology and the protology is linked to the teleology. So nature itself is something that it is natural and normal for us to move towards God. But you have a choice. You must, for him, um, there is a natural aspect of potential in being. And since there is a potential, there must be a free choice to exercise that potential, to try and actualize it in some way. And you either actualize it by accepting Christ, the Logos, and receiving well-being in that you accept who Christ is, then you put him on through baptism, or you reject the Creator, you reject the one who died for your sins, and you place yourself in ill being and then when you die at the resurrection because all will be resurrected but some will be resurrected and sent into eternal life some unto condemnation forever because they have chosen either to receive well-being and put on Christ or they have chosen to receive ill being so that is uh, I think a very simple way to put out his triad of being that is being well-being and eternal being and I think it's really interesting and uh, I, I, if you want to get into this stuff, I didn't read from the cosmic, from the cosmic, um, the what is it called, the cosmic mystery of Jesus Christ. But it is also very interesting. A lot of Paul Blowers does a lot of work on um, uh, Maximus the Confessor. But if you want to get these books, these are really really cool books. They're on Amazon or any other bookstore, I would think. Um, so the Ambiguo and um, the Questions to Thalassius. These are uh, really, really cool books, and they're really good to um, study. And it gives a, a totally different um, way to look at at um, how God works through us and what our purpose is, and it gives a totally different um, perspective rather than just solely uh, a Western sense of theology. So if you want to look at this stuff, it's very interesting. Um, that's his triad, the being, well-being, and eternal being. It is not a universalist position. I would like to state that. I know there's other scholars who disagree with that. I'm not a scholar, but I think that um, Maximus has enough uh, pages in his works that show that he did not believe that, that you must, in fact, choose uh, well-being by accepting the Creator God, by accepting the Logos who came in the flesh. And if you don't do that, you receive ill-being and then ever ill-being. So... Um, that's the triad. If you liked it, 
hit the like button, subscribe if you want to support. The support um, buttons will be in the descriptions below. So thank you. We'll see you next time.